Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. This episode is going to cover a Canadian UFO incident that spans several decades. The initial incident plays out in Duncan, BC on New Year's Day in 1970, 53 years ago. Doreen Kendall, a nurse at the Cowichan Hospital, parted the curtains with the goal of opening the window to get some fresh air into a patient's room. As the curtains parted, a blinding light projected from an object hovering outside the window froze her dead in her tracks. And the beings she claimed to see operating the object? Well, that changed her life forever. Now, in the case of the Duncan UFO incident, the story doesn't end in 1970. In fact, just this year, the Royal Canadian Mint released a coin that commemorates this event, which leads us to the latest incident in the story of the Duncan UFO incident. Just as the coin became available, a local 81-year-old man came forward and revealed what he claimed to be the true story of what really happened. And if you believe him, it was a simple hoax that went much further than anyone planned. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, UFO researcher Chris Rutkowski and I are going to attempt to understand the 1970 Duncan, B.C. UFO incident. The newly retired Chris Rutkowski. Uh, well, I think when you were last on the show, it was just around the time that you announced you were uh, stepping away from your day job. Um, and I'm assuming that means you're focused primarily on the UFO phenomenon now? And if not, what are you doing in retirement? <laughs> uh, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I'm doing a, a lot more uh, ufo kind of stuff now. Uh, although I, uh, uh, I'm doing other kinds of writing as well. Um, I'm doing some book reviews, um, uh, other uh, pieces of freelance. So I, uh, I, it, it's been relaxing uh, to a point, but I seem to be very busy doing a little bit of traveling around and uh, it, uh, it, a day is filled up. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, t- tell me about this. Uh, speaking of the writing you've been doing, I was at my in-laws house over the weekend and when I cracked open McLean's magazine, who do I see front and center, but Chris Rutkowski writing an article about UFOs for the, for the well-known across Canada publication McLean's. How did that come about? And tell me a bit about your piece in that. Well, yeah, they actually uh, reached out to me uh, as a result of some of the stuff they had seen, I suppose, online. Uh, uh, they reached out through LinkedIn because I've been doing a little bit of publishing uh, of stuff material on LinkedIn. Uh, and they reached out to me, wanted to know if I'd be interested in doing an editorial. Uh, and so I uh, uh, wrote an editorial about, I think, Canada's role should be in the whole UAP uh, situation. But in a nutshell, uh, it's uh, we. I think Canada could be a little more transparent. Uh, Canada ha- has been the leader in terms of looking at UAP from a scientific standpoint. So I think Canada has a role and can can inform some of the more recent things that are going on. Um, but uh, up until a few years ago, Canada was m- making its a uh, material on UFOs and UAP much more available. And that seemed to have died down in, uh, in in recent years. In fact, right now, Transport Canada is not 
uh, publishing very many UFO reports at all, even though there's still a category called UFO. Used to be we'd find maybe, you know, um, a half dozen uh, uh, a month or half dozen, uh, even a half dozen a week sometimes uh, in the Transport Canada incident reports from pilots. And those have vanished. So we know that mm. pilots are, still must be seeing UFOs, but they're going somewhere else. Why this sudden well, change? I don't know. Well, could that be because they're taking it more seriously and they're not just, you know, giving away the data anymore? Maybe they're sending it somewhere for analysis? Uh, absolutely. They're sending it somewhere. But where that is, we simply don't know. I mean, again, I make the point that I think that we should have a little more transparency. We have the expertise that so we should be relying a little bit more on what's gone on in the past. Um, the uh, Sky Canada project, for example. Uh, is supposed to have issued its first report by now, uh, and uh, is uh, they're noticeably late. So, who knows what's going on? Yeah, well, the government may not be speaking publicly about UFOs and what's be se being seen in the sky, but it certainly is on the mind of many Canadians. And maybe that's evidenced by the fact that McLean's Magazine reached out to a UFO expert, writer, investigator to do a story. Were, were you surprised to hear from McLean's Magazine? Because they're generally a pretty like vanilla uh, in terms of like the paranormal and stuff and for people who aren't uh, listening from canada maybe give me an idea of like what a comparable to mclean's would be yeah i think the closest thing to compare mclean's to uh, in the united states for example would be newsweek you know quite conservative mm -hmm. uh sort of a, a politics science art and, and literature sort of a review a very summary kind of the new scientist uh for lay people or something like that mm -hmm. okay. and um uh but very well respected and uh you know they Certainly. do have a you know a considerable uh you know fan base uh, and people are reading it um you know as your in-laws <laughs> uh yeah, are certainly. doing so and uh, i have i've received a lot of positive response from my piece so and and just as a as a note mclean's is also um, in social media and uh, they have threatened to get me to do TikTok videos to accompany oh, the article. So oh, um, just, you know, just to prepare people that that might be coming. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll start planning protests now to ensure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the reason we're here tonight is to discuss a UFO story, uh, the history of the story, and of course, the Royal Canadian Mint's coin that commemorates the story. I I'm sure we've talked in the past about the various um, Royal Canadian Mint commemorative coins in a series that they call Canada's Unexplained Phenomenon. The latest one that they've just started selling, I think probably a little over a month ago, is a 1970 UFO sighting involving a nurse in Duncan, British Columbia. Before this coin was released, I had never heard of the 1970 Duncan UFO incident. So before we get into the story or the coin or anything else, tell me a little bit about the history of this sighting in terms of its place in Canadian UFO lore. Like, is this a well-known sighting? Well, actually, I'll, I'll let me do a little bit more, more than that. I'll give you the background of the coins, too. Um, okay. That um, back in uh, the mid 2000 teens i'd been approached by the uh, royal canadian mint to assist them in developing uh, a series of coins about uh, classic canadian ufo cases um so i i i assisted them i i helped them they sent me drafts mm. of the the, the mock-up and the, all that sort of stuff and i gave them ideas on future ones this is actually the sixth one the first was falcon lake then there was shag harbor 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Then there was, I think, Clarenville, Newfoundland. That's right. Yeah, Um, I have one. And then there was um, the Montreal Bonaventure Hotel. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was, it's four. So the fifth one was Yukon. Yes. And so this is the sixth one. Uh, The the face value is $20, but um, because they're pure silver, they're fairly heavy. And I think they, they cost... Um, when you buy them, 120 bucks, 125 bucks, or something like that, because just because of the silver. Um, but they're sold out there, they sell out faster than any other coin that they've ever produced. Mm-hmm. So, with this particular case, Duncan BC, um, the case is basically that um, New Year's Day 1970, a nurse was working uh, in a ward in a hospital in Duncan BC. And around midnight, um, she was going to a window to to close some curtains uh, for some of the patients that she was working with. And out the window, she saw uh, this classic Hollywood-style flying saucer. But the difference in this case is that she could see occupants. And there's very few cases like that in Canada. I have a, sh- a couple paragraphs that tell the story. I'm just going to read it, and that, that'll allow us to discuss some of the different elements sure. of it here for people who don't know it well. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We'll start with this as kind of the original story, because as we get talking here, we'll, we may hear a few different versions of it. Sure. But the original story that most people would know was that uh, after between midnight and five in the morning on New Year's Day in 1970, Doreen Kendall, a nurse at the Cowichan District Hospital on Vancouver Island, noticed that one of her elderly patients in, her, in the ward she was looking after was restless. She decided that the patient was too warm, so she went to the window part of the the drapes with the plan of opening the window to let in air. And as she described it, as she pulled open the drapes, she was met by a blinding light that was being projected from an object about 60 feet away from the fifth store window that she was fifth story window that she was looking out of. She described the object as being shaped somewhere between circular and saucer shaped with a string of bright lights surrounding it. Uh, She described the bottom as being a silvery metal with the top a transparent glass-like dome inside of which, as you said, she she claimed she could see um, two two beings like kind of seated at the object, uh, seated within the object. She also described the object being kind of slowly tilting um, from one side to the other in such a way that she was able to see um, what they were sitting on. She described the beings as sitting on what looked like two little stools. They were dressed all in black uh, in a sort of uniform kind of thing, and they were seated one behind the other. Uh, As she watched the craft slowly tilting, seeing more of it, she described the beings uh, seated in front of a sort of panel. They seemed to be manipulating the panel in some way. Uh, When at one point, the um the she noticed the being seated seated in the front seemed to be staring at the panel quite intently as if something was important something important was going on which i think has led some people to believe or suspect that maybe whatever these beings were they were having some kind of technical problems as this was going on 
uh, Miss Kendall noticed, uh, realized it was another nurse in the in the room with her, and she was about to get her attention. And just as she was about to, she was stopped dead in her tracks as one of the beings, the one seated in the rear of the two, looked directly at Miss Kendall. Um, once it made, uh, once it looked at her, the being in the back touched the being in the front on its shoulder, on maybe to get its attention. As that happened, the being in the front grabbed some kind of lever, pulled it. The object began turning in a circle, slowly making its way away. And that's when Miss Kendall, the nurse Kendall, called in the other nurse, whose name was uh, Nurse Wilson. And as you described there, Nurse Wilson did see the object, but only at the point that it was uh, trailing out of sight. So certainly not in the detail. So th the way I just described it, does, does that sound to you like the original version of the story you would have heard? Yeah, the original version. I mean, I, I had never uh, spoken with Miss Kendall herself, but mm -hmm. I read the uh, RCMP report, which is quite lengthy. I think it's seven pages oh, yeah. long. I was surprised to see how serious the RCMP took it, and that they would even respond to this kind of call. Because you you sent me, I think, a five page report, uh, an RCMP report of of this event. Yeah, I actually covered it in uh, my most recent book, Canada's UFOs Declassified. Um, but the the case was relatively well known in some uh, in some circles because uh, John Magor in his uh, book Our UFO Visitors uh, about Canadian UFO cases was featured in there, um, and uh, CBC uh, Gem uh, produced a documentary called Spaceman uh, about this case and a couple of other cases that occurred on oh. Vancouver Island. Uh, okay. They actually flew me out there, and we traveled around Victoria, uh, Vancouver Island. In fact, we went to the hospital and saw where this occurred. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we, we looked around and, and tried to measure through trees and angles and that type of thing. And so it was actually was featured in this documentary, which is available online. So it, it's not completely unknown. Uh, I think it was in Canadian UFO report. I think uh, APRO Bulletin had, uh, had it a couple of times. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a greatly well-known case, but it has a lot of fascinating details. So when the Mint was asking me, you know, are there interesting cases that, that would be visually uh, good to, to do on a coin? I said, well, this one's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And they recreated the description, uh, you know, from based on the report fairly accurately, I think, based on what was said. So if, if you've been entertaining this sighting, uh, as long as you have, you've wrote about it. I know you you have a, a bit of a reputation for being skeptical. Mm -hmm. You giving this attention would tell me you think there is uh, there is some something special about this about this sighting. Is there any reason in particular that you were drawn to it and paid attention to it over all these years? Well, as I alluded to it, uh, that you know this is a one of the few cases where we have uh, a witness seeing entities or or creatures or ufonauts. Uh, in association with a with a, a craft of some sort, um, and it was, as you say, taken quite seriously by the RCMP. In fact, in the RCMP mm -hmm. report, um, the RCMP were never um, uh, it was never reported to the RCMP. Uh, it made the newspaper at the time, um, and was well known within the community that something had happened to Doreen uh, at the hospital. Um, and it was only, uh, I think it was five or six days after this had occurred that the RCMP um, uh, constables at the time said, you know, maybe we should interview her because it was their mandate for on behalf of the National Research Council to investigate UFOs. And even though it hadn't been reported to them, it was such an interesting um, story that they wanted to get to the bottom of it. 
Um, and so it was only then that uh, an RCMP officer went and talked with Doreen and the other nurses. And the RCMP report, it goes into great detail, not only with the interview of her, but uh, the other nurses. They talked to some other people in the area who had also say, seen things. So there was more than one sighting, um, but uh, they focused on uh, on this. And uh, it's, it's very interesting that the RCMP took it seriously, and they couldn't find an explanation for uh, what was seen. They just simply said, I, we, we're not sure what it was seen, but it's an interesting case. Just out of curiosity, can you think of any other cases where the RCMP took it upon themselves to open up an investigation into a UFO sighting that they heard about in the media? I'm just, just off the top of my head, I can't think of another time, whether it's UFO sighting or anything else, where the RCMP seemed to just begin an, uh, an investigation on their own, where generally they investigate complaints, not look for complaints sure. to investigate. Well, well, I mean, one that, that comes to mind immediately is the most famous one, Falcon Lake. Um, that was never officially reported to the RCMP. It w hit the media first, and then the uh, National Defense was actually first on the scene and they brought in the RCMP. So hmm. it is interesting that they, they took this upon themselves. Now, you've read the uh, the RCMP report, and I guess you have an inside look at their investigation through those reports. Other than through that report, other than it showing you that they took this seriously and did try to get to the bottom of it, what avenues of the story did they investigate? And you know, how did, how did they try to figure this out? Because aside from speaking to uh, Doreen Kendall about what she saw and maybe corroborating that with the other witnesses, I don't know what else there would be to do. Like, what did, how did they try to figure this out? Well, the RCMP went to the, to the site. They uh, went to the hospital grounds. Um, they, you know, climbed out onto the roof. Um, they uh, actually went back a couple of times and spoke to a, a number of other witnesses of other objects that had been seen in the area. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they opened up all the possibilities. They, they wanted to see perhaps there was a, a plane that was nearby or a helicopter. They, um, and, and curiously enough, uh, at that time in the, you know, in 1970, uh, that was a period when people uh, were, you know, hoaxing some UFOs at the time. And uh, uh, other than just claiming all sorts of things, uh, what was in fad at the time, uh, and there are several cases in the United States where this happened, uh, a couple were investigated by the Condon uh, Committee, where you would make a, a dry cleaner bag balloon. Mm -hmm. And um, and what uh, some of the hoaxers would do is that, um, you know, we don't see them very much, but dry cleaner plastic bags were very, very thin, just enough to cover the the suits and dresses from, uh, from the wind and, and rain. And you would get balsa wood strips of balsa wood again you don't see this very much make a big cross and in the center you would put a, a number of candles or in some cases a little jar of sterno again you don't hear this much anymore um, and light it on fire holding it the bag open a little bit and eventually it would fill up with hot air you know hotter than the outside air and would slowly begin to rise like well, basically a large unusual looking chinese lantern exactly and in terms of dry cleaner bags, that the RCMP had actually considered the possibility. In fact, Doreen herself, in her statement, uh, said, you know, I know the stories about dry cleaner bags, specifically calling them out as dry cleaner bag balloons and saying this was not a dry cleaner bag. This was something a little more substantial. I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, 
But and even the RCMP talked about it uh, later in the report. So it was mentioned a couple of times as a possibility. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, the RCMP did, you know, they thought, well, you know, would you doubt the veracity of a nurse? Uh, what motivation did she have? She wasn't herself looking for attention. This was actually uh, came secondhand to the media. Um, and she, you know, really shied away from uh, talking to media after that point. Um, there didn't seem to be a motivation for a hoax. So a hoax was considered at the time, but eventually was just sort of said, well, we simply don't don't have any idea what happened. Interesting. So this all happens in the 1970s. The RCMP considers possibility at uh, the possibility of it being a hoax, possibly one of these dry cleaner bag things. They're unable to solve it one way or another. For the most part, the event is on the fringe of public attention. Again, I, like I follow Canadian UFO stories, and this is new to me, at least it mm-hmm. seems to be. The coin comes out by the Royal Canadian Mint commemorating this event, which uh, certainly gives it a boost in um, notoriety and mm-hmm. brings it to the attention to a lot of people. And that's when somebody comes forward with a story that I think a lot of people, to a lot of people, takes the wind out of the laundry bag, I guess we'll say. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play a short clip by uh, a man named Dan Hughes. He's an 81-year-old man who claims that he knows what happened um, or knows the explanation to the Duncan UFO incident. Uh, he knows the people responsible, but now that everyone responsible, including the primary witnesses, are all deceased, he feels like he's able to come forward and tell people uh, what actually happened. As it turns out, he claims it's a party trick gone wrong that led to uh, sort of hysteria. I'm going to play his statements, and then uh, we'll come back to talking about it. Well, what it was, it was the people that I knew. I wasn't there at the time, but this couple that I knew quite well later on, uh, as a party prank, made a homemade hot air balloon out of uh, a plastic bag which would cover a suit which you'd get from the cleaners, and uh, they they rigged it up, a little cross of four little sticks, three two little sticks crosswise with candles, they heated the thing up with a hairdryer, and it worked every time. I, I, I saw them do it again after that, uh, a couple of years later, and they'd fill it with hot air with a hairdryer, light the candles, and then this thing would be a, a homemade hot air balloon. It would rise slowly. It had to be a, um, a still night, <clears throat> so you didn't have wind blowing it all over the place. A uh, clear night, it would rise slowly, and once it got up a few feet, um, it became hard to dis- uh, actually determine what the heck the thing was. The candles at the bottom gave a ring of light. It illuminated the plastic inside. And so what they did, they lived at, at that time, they were living at a, in a street adjacent to the hospital. So this thing lifted up, went across the trees and approached the hospital. And a nurse happened to be looking out. And from a distance, you can't really determine how big or small this thing is. And she saw it for a while. Then the thing must have drifted up in the air. And, of course, immediately we had this UFO controversy, and the people who had done it uh, didn't want to say anything because <laughs> they thought they might get themselves in trouble, so they kept quiet. But they related to me, uh, related the story to me several times. The plastic had some kind of an imprint on it. Uh, it might have been figures of people, you know, uh, from the company that put out the bags. This looked like somebody might have been inside this, this unit uh, a couple of years later, uh, in the, down at Couch and Bay in the Duncan area, they uh, made another one one evening, set it off, drifted up, and it 
<clears throat> went across the bay, and once it reached the air, you couldn't really tell what it was. It was just this bright light which drifted away. <clears throat> and I think as a result of that, several people phoned, uh, reported seeing a UFO that night. So that, uh, I guess that checks out with the lead that the original RCMP were following, that it could have been one of these laundry bags. Mm -hmm. it, is, is, is that the clincher for you? Do you think that's what actually happened? Well, I mean, it's a possible explanation. And, you know, we're talking uh, 53 years uh, ago. Um, mm -hmm. My first reaction is, you know, why, why come forward now? And he said, well, they're dead. <laughs> the people they're, who they're did. dead and there's and it's in the news again and, it's of in the the news. and there are a few cases historically um in fortiana where you know long held um, classic stories were found to be uh hoaxes or have some explanations the coddington fairies you know sir uh, arthur conan doyle um believed that these little photographs in the 1910s 15s of fairies were real um <laughs> Uh, there was uh, the uh, the classic uh, Loch Ness monster, you know, uh, that's been uh, shown to have been a, a hoax now as well. And um, you know the 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 Bob Gimlin um, walking Sasquatch, you know the the family supposedly came forward with that. So a lot of the the classics have been shown to have some explanations. Um, you know, you'd have to think of though that yeah, it's possible that. You know, if there was a figure of a man or a woman imprinted on the plastic bag, it might have looked like they were. But from my experience sending these things up, you have to be pretty close to it to be able to see something like that. Mm -hmm. And for her to see figures on the plastic bag, the bag must have been literally like 10 feet away from the, the window of the hospital. Yeah. Now, they did live close to the hospital. That's a possibility. But she did describe things in some detail. Now, she, that would require her to have a really, really active imagination. That's what I'm uh, thinking, yeah. Um, in order to describe all of this stuff. Um, and one would hope that nurses looking after patients in an ICU would probably not hallucinate like that. Um, uh, you know, it causes some concern. Now, is it possible that, you know, she let her mind run away with her? Um, yeah, it's possible. Um, you know, because it's, it's, it's hard to disprove that uh, you know the, the explanation that it was a ufo is you know hard to imagine but the explanation that it was just a dry cleaner bag you can imagine it but you know that's a, a stretch of the imagination on doreen uh, kendall's mm. part as well so yeah. was it a dry cleaner bag i don't know uh, it's uh, uh you know it's a possibility but the rcmp did consider it and at the time they didn't think much of it do you know, like, you know, the RCMP considered that it would be a laundry bag. Do you, do you know if that made its way to the public? Like, I'm just wondering what are, like, what would the chances be that this 81 year old man, Dan Hughes, would come up with the same explanation in 2023 that the RCMP were considering back in 1970 when investigating this? Like, would, would he have read in the paper possibly, you know, uh, RCMP believe? Well, I bag. mean, there would have been a couple of ways to find out about it because um uh the uh the story as i mentioned was printed in a couple of books it was in my recent mm -hmm. book and um the story also was in this um documentary tv documentary on cbc about five years ago six years ago or something like that 
And as I mentioned, we actually went to the hospital and we filmed around the hospital and stuff. So that would have brought it into the public mind again. Mm -hmm. And if those the people who had sent it aloft uh, were still alive at that time, they could have said, oh, yeah, that was us. Yeah, you know, and that's how this guy would have would have heard about it. So it, I'm, it, you can't be you can't rule it out. I mean, as I mentioned with the Clarenville uh, case, I mean, uh, uh, I, I think that one probably had an explanation and it got a coin. Um, that's a good point. <laughs> well, I, I think it, and that's one of the fascinating things and exciting things about the UFO phenomenon is there are explanations for a lot of them, but it's very hard to conclusively prove one of the expl explanations to be correct a lot of times it's, you know it's a theory yeah and and the purpose of the coin was not to say that these are unexplained the purpose was to talk about uh ufo reports that captured the canadian imagination mm, uh, and are point. part of our history and culture yeah well that's kind of leads into my next question and uh, is d does this explanation being put forward by the, by this man does that affect the value of that coin in terms not not monetary value but in terms of commemorating this site like uh, or the sighting like to me it's it this is just another layer onto the story of the duncan ufo event uh, absolutely and um uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's always been some people to to claim uh, explanations for for UFO cases, and that in many situations that actually enhances the the story, makes people want to see for themselves where this occurred. Yeah, it seems like the only thing that can harm a UFO sighting from get, capturing the people's attention is just simply ignoring it and not talking about it. So, you know, it's kind of like any news is good news or any advertisement. Average. What is the saying? For no news is good. Uh, no um bad publicity no there's no right. such thing as bad publicity that's it that's yeah. it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i knew we'd get there yeah uh well this is this has been awesome to get uh it, i didn't realize how connected you were to the royal canadian mints coin series but uh when i did when i was going through their website i was seeing you quote it often as you know chris rutkowski expert and you'd have a little blurb there so I, I just assumed they were leaning on you a little bit but i didn't realize how uh involved you were but before we wrap this up, something I always do when I have you on the show is I like to air a uh, a UFO sighting a uh, listener of Nighttime had sent good, uh, good. to get your your idea of what's going on. Uh, this is a, uh, a sighting from a listener named Barb. Uh, she's in Ontario, and she's going to be describing a, a, a sighting that she had last month. Listen to this and tell me if you have any idea of what Barb saw. Okay. The UFO that my mother and I saw was soaring through the sky on September 27, 2023, at 6.04 p.m. We first spotted it from the back patio door and then ran to the front door to continue watching it from outside. The perimeter of the aircraft looked like a star or a hexagon, and it was relatively flat, but thicker in the center. The surface of the aircraft was shaped like the top of a diamond ring with different angled flat surfaces. It was either dark gray, black, or metallic color. Later, my neighbor agreed that it was dark gray and it looked like a star with the diamond surface. It was climbing in altitude the whole time, except for when it weaved and bobbed, tilted and turned in the sky. I thought it was going fast, but I didn't realize just how fast it was going until I saw an airplane about five seconds later coming from the right-hand side of the sky way below the craft, and it started to travel upwards towards where the craft went. I thought maybe they saw it and were attempting to investigate the airplane seemed to crawl compared to the aircraft that had been streaking through the sky. It wasn't until I saw the airplane come by right underneath it that I realized how high up in the air the aircraft was. It was also then that I realized just how big this craft was. 
It looked like you could fit three jumbo jet airplanes, including the wingspans, in the aircraft. The passenger airplane came about five seconds after the craft disappeared. It wasn't a helicopter, an airplane, a jet, or anything I've ever seen before. It moved like something out of a science fiction movie. You could see it as plain as day. The sky was blue and full of white clouds. We were saying, what is that? Look at that. Look up there. A lady heard us discussing the UFO and looked up for a second into the sky and decided that it was a party balloon. I'm sorry, my dear, I said, but balloons don't climb that high into the atmosphere. They pop before they can get that far. And they float. They don't soar through the air like an aircraft. They don't look like or are shaped like a diamond with straight sides. Balloons are round and don't have straight sides. They're full of air, not made of metal. As I watched it disappear into the clouds, I sat there in amazement and said to my neighbor, Nazi, did you see that? Yes, she replied. What do you think of it? Oh, I've never seen anything like that before. Neither have I. That's the end. So that, that for one, that's a, she's a great storyteller. Great storyteller, yeah. Um, so first thing I'm thinking of as I, as I hear that is so many of the um, decisions or ideas she had seemed to be gauging by the distance the object was from her, yet she it seemed like a, there wasn't really many points where she could see the entire object. So I, I'm wondering if she if she did get a set, was able to accurately gauge its size. But you tell me what you think about this. Dry cleaner bag. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but here's the thing. If Doreen Kendall can imagine creatures and, and knobs and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, from a dry cleaner bag, why couldn't what Barb seen also be a dry cleaner bag? You know, she seemed to have a good view and it seemed to be metallic and it seemed to be, I mean, how... How much does your imagination and your interpretation play into what you're seeing? Uh, so I was sure. facetious, but you know, saying it was a dry cleaner bag, I'm not sure whether it was a, a balloon or not. It doesn't sound like a party balloon from the description, but um, you know, we're not. We need a little more information, I suppose. It would have been nice for them to get a video. Uh, and mm -hmm. how far away was it? You know, we, you know, it would be nice to know whether it was within a hundred feet or you know, uh, several kilometers or something like that. Hard to say, but this was a daytime sighting. Six o'clock in, in September was still fairly bright out. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't necessarily a star. Doesn't sound like Starlink. Doesn't sound like, you know, a number of the other possible explanations. Not sure what this was. Um, you know, we, we might have to class it up, class it as a unexplained uh, at this point and see what uh, additional information we might be able to get. And I did. I did send you a text copy of this, so this this sighting will be included in the data for the 2023 Canadian UFO survey, or is it the 2024 that? You're no, this will be 2023, this? which we've already started working on. Um, interesting, we're having some challenges now um, because certain organizations are reluctant to share their their uh, case data. We, I ran oh. into this when we first started doing this back in the late 80s and early 90s, where. Um, some uh, UFO organizations didn't want to share their reports because this was their, you know, their reports. And it was very hard to to get, uh, you know, cases from all the uh, the various UFO organizations. And that eventually, you know, uh, we, we broke through the wall and people were, were quite willing to uh, to share the data uh, later on uh, as we began the survey in the, uh, uh, you know, later on in the 90s, for example. Um, and there's been a reversal that... Uh, uh, seems that UFO reports have become more proprietary. Uh, you know, there's no central repository for UFO reports other than 
you know, nighttime podcast and the Canadian UFO survey, which is where we'd like people to send. But there's yeah. been a, a number of smaller organizations and even some larger ones that have not been sharing data anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And it's quite a challenge uh, uh, to get data. In fact, at this point, I'm not convinced we we can get uh, all the data that we've been getting over the, the years from various organizations. So for people who are new to to the work you're doing is you you publish and you and your partners publish an annual report that compiles all the Canadian UFO sightings and you break them down by different data points like how many witnesses what time of day what month what direction or you know uh, what color was the light how long did it last and you publish a report that shows all of that data and of course in order for your report to have as much value as it does, you need to receive all the Canadian UFO reports. So if there are some groups that are holding their UFO reports close to their chest, keeping them as proprietary data, that devalues the work that uh, that you and your partners do. Uh, it, it devalues to a certain extent, but more importantly, um, it doesn't allow us uh, even comparisons. I mean, if we've been getting case reports from one particular UFO organization for the past 30 years, um, and suddenly we're not, uh, you know, we can't say that the number of UFO reports has decreased <laughs> or increased mm -hmm. or the colors are no longer predominantly red and yellow. Now they're orange and, and blue or something like that because we can't do a complete comparison. So the value, though, is that we're still doing scientific analyses. And that's what's really going on right now in, in ufology is there's a more uh, greater focus on uh, the science and some <clears throat> a differentiation of uh, of uh, of the reports themselves, it's not enough to for somebody to to say I saw a UFO last Tuesday at uh, at three o'clock, um, and and leave it at that. We want to know well, what did you see? What color was it? How long did you see it? Uh, you know, where were you exactly? We need that kind of data so we can better understand the UFO phenomenon. And if that information isn't forthcoming, then that's a problem. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with that. Um... And before we do, though, anything you're working on that you want to tell us about or tease? Um, well, I mean, I am continue to work with the Galileo Project on uh, their studies using uh, or trying to find Canadian UFO hotspots uh, or hotspots around the world. With a, And my expertise is sharing the Canadian UFO hotspot data. Um, there's actually a fellow in New Zealand who's been helping us and helping me by doing heat maps of Canadian UFO oh. reports over the years. And uh, uh, it's interesting to see how the the, uh, the the hotspots shift from from year to year and from province to province. Um, so I'm working on that. I'm also working on a, a, an update on the, and on the Canadian UFO survey and also working on uh, another uh, book about uh, interesting government uh, cases. So there's always something uh, on the go. You don't stop. No. Well, no. thank you for joining us again, Chris. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back again with you soon because whenever something weird happens in the skies in Canada, you're the guy I go to. Uh, and you keep up the good work. Nighttime podcast in general is fantastic. I want to thank you for joining Chris Rutkowski and I for this episode. Now, I'm going to wrap things up here, but before I do, I'm going to give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Chris for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd like to thank LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers, and Monty Data, who contributes the music for this episode. And then lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to each and every one of you listening, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. 
Patricia, Finn, and Denise, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can help out in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show. But perhaps more importantly, the premium feed gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. If that sounds like something you're interested in, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And if you don't want to go premium but still want to support the show, simply share this episode on social media and let all your like-minded friends know what we're doing here. Your help in helping the show grow is greatly appreciated. Now until next time, I hope you all take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.